Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Is Earth one big farm for paranormal parasites? What are supernatural seducers? Can inanimate objects, quote unquote, be haunted? Wait a minute, that's from last week. If this, if anyway, if this is all true, <laughs> just a little it, recap from what you missed last yes. week. Is there any hope for humanity when it comes to escaping our status as cattle? Hello and welcome, hundred, welcome back to uh, Behind the Paranormal. This is the 769th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on W O O N 12:40 a.m. and 99.3 FM, and our 11th year on the air. Wow, time flies, huh? We're uh, having fun. Yes. So I'm Ben, and those semi-depressing questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, and dad, Paul. And today, uh, we bring you one of our favorite guests on what uh, what's probably the most sobering and important discussion that, well, we've probably ever had. But, you know, you're welcome to be a part of that very depressing discussion today. Uh, the call, the calls that, or you can call us at uh, 401-766-1240, that's from anywhere, or you can email us, paulatbehindtheparanormal.com for that. And don't forget about Facebook, you can also message us through there as well. Well, hopefully it's not too depressing. I like to think there are uh, lights at the end of the tunnels here. I think we've seen that, too. Anyway, Nick Redfern is a full-time author and journalist specializing in a wide range of unsolved mysteries, including Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, UFOs, government conspiracies, alien abductions, and paranormal phenomena. He writes regularly for the London Daily Express newspaper, Fortean Times, Fate Magazine, and UFO Magazine. His books include... Uh, three Men Seeking Monsters, Strange Secrets, Cosmic Crashes, The FBI Files, and about a hundred others. Among his many exploits, Nick has investigated reports of lake monsters in Scotland, vampires in Puerto Rico, werewolves in England, aliens in Mexico, and sea serpents in the United States. He travels and lectures extensively around the world. Originally from England, he currently lives in Dallas, Texas. One of his latest books is the subject of our discussion today, Paranormal Parasites, and I'm proud to say that Nick wrote the foreword for my forthcoming book, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeist, Parasites, Parallel Worlds, and God. So, Nick Redfern, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Hey guys, thanks for having me on again. Oh, well, it's great to have you back. It's always a fun show with you. So, Nick, let us start with, uh, well, something that's not super-duper simple. Um, but the subtitle of your book on parasites is uh, The Voracious Appetites of Soul-Sucking Supernatural Entities. I really dig the alliterations, by Me the too. way. Uh, this might seem you know, kind of melodramatic to some, but our experience has taught us uh, you know, to kind of take it really, really seriously. So can you give us kind of an overall view of these parasites and um, how you believe they use the human race? Hmm. Well, there's a lot of um, accounts and witness reports and testimony of people who had encounters with what we could call supernatural beings, like, for example, the black-eyed children, the shadow people, the men in black, ghostly phenomena, and where in the immediate aftermath, of the encounter or during the encounter the witness suddenly starts to sort of feel sick and ill but most of all weak and tired as if their life force their energy if you like is, is literally being drained away from them in other words you know it's like a like a supernatural vampire type situation people talk about feeling dizzy lightheaded um they don't have the energy to stand up um they quite literally feel, uh, with hindsight, that they were being sort of devoured in some ways, not physically, but energy-wise, by these entities. And um, 
when you know you have so many of these cases on record i don't think it can be put down just to bad dreams and nightmares and things like that it appears that these creatures target us deliberately and the whole purpose of the targeting is to in essence um drain us of our life force so do you think um, you kind of mentioned uh, when you when you began that you know black eyed children MIB shadow people all those things do you believe that they are related to parasites in some way? Well, I think they are. Now, of course, you know the black eyed children don't literally look like the shadow people and so on. But what I would say is that these these issues of people feeling weak, feeling tired, uh, in some cases almost spontaneously developing serious anemia and things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, when you when you realize that although these phenomena look different and may act different, the outcome is typically usually the same, this, this angle of the people falling ill. Um, and so I think there is a connection. Now, whether or not we're actually seeing these creatures, these entities in their, you know, their, their real form, their real appearance, I don't know. That's one of the things that several of the witnesses have said to me, that when they've encountered these creatures, they have, um, if you like, they've taken on different forms, almost like a shapeshifter. So that Mm. makes me wonder if they could all actually be the same thing, but presenting themselves in different ways in different situations. No, that kind of makes sense. Um, I guess that kind of leads into my next question, which is, um, you know, what what kind of parasites do you think are active among us currently? Well, I mean, certainly the ones that I mentioned in the book, um, it seems to be that like, the, the black-eyed children and the shadow people seem to be really at the forefront of, uh, of these phenomena. Now, for people who don't know, the, the black-eyed children, it's a phenomenon that began in the late 1990s, sort of quietly, um, and then took off far more in the 2000s, and it's a staple part of paranormal research today. And the black-eyed children are called the black-eyed children because when people see them, they have these sort of solid black eyes. The entire eye is black, and they're typically um, described as being anywhere from about 10 to about 13 years old. That's how they look, at least. Um, they're very pale skin, like almost like milk white skin, um, and very often wear these black hoodies that they pull down, um, so you're not able to see the, the face too well. And typically, they knock on people's doors late at night and and try and find a way to get into the house. They they never force their way in, but they try and get the the owner or the person in the house or the apartment um, to invite them in. And they say things like, we're homeless, you know, can we come in? And I say we because there are typically usually two of them. Can we come in? We're homeless or we're, we're hungry. Uh, we're lost. Can we come in and um, phone our parents? And so it's basically putting the ball in the court of the, of the people in the house, um, inviting them in, which kind of ties in with the old vampire legend. Yeah, I was just going to say how, that. Yeah, how, um, you know... In, centuries ago in the old legends um the vampire had to be invited in so you have mm-hmm. that parallel there and of course in the old stories you know the, the vampires would would feed on the people drain them of blood um but when it comes to the black-eyed children for the most part thankfully um people have had the presence of mind not to let them in the house and 
there are a few occasions where the people felt almost like hypnotized and mind controlled to to let them into the house and in those rare occasions all the ones i've got on record the people have said that they suddenly started to feel weak they barely got into the living room when they had to sort of just quickly sit down because they felt like they were going to faint and um these kids were just standing there staring at them like sort of malevolently and they started to get the shakes um they didn't feel well they felt they were going to pass out um they didn't have the energy or the strength to stand up and in some cases they did it was like a blur what happened after that they just couldn't remember it it was like a blackout and all they could say for sure was the next day and the next two or three days they just felt as if they'd been you know hit by a six foot hammer or something you know um they just had for, for days and days they just felt weak and ill and couldn't go to work couldn't do anything it was just as if as one put it um it was as if you know they'd been stuck on a desert island for a week with no food or water and their entire body was crashing you know hmm. that's one of the things uh, since well by the end of the 70s i kind of thought that that was correct and i would look for and we still look for the fatigue as you mentioned uh you know another thing we look for nick and you find this very interesting is uh we ask people about their electric bills you know because we find that when parasites can't get us they will some some of them will feed off the electrical system in a house or a building and uh, people will say funny you should ask it's sky high and it shouldn't be now, there may be other reasons for that, but that, that, that's one of the clues. Um, can you give us some? So I think well, your, your your list of parasites might be a little bit different from ours, but I think another important point you make is that they can appear to be other things. That's part of the 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 natural mimicry of these creatures uh, by which they will feed or or you know prey upon people uh, or whatever. Or and one of the things that we find. Uh, is that people say, oh, well, it, it seems very positive. It's a little girl with flowers in her hair. I mean, can you think of any more anything more positive than that? And very often it turns out to be a parasite. Um, have you run into cases where there are very positive, at least appearing, critters who turn out to be parasites? If there's what, sorry, what was that last bit? Well, in other words, have you run into cases where there are very, where they appear to be very positive in the beginning just to kind of lure people in and then they, they kind of turn out not to be positive at all? Oh, I see what you mean. Yes, there's a lot of cases like that where the the events sort of occur. It, it's, it's always a little bit odd to start with, but it's certainly not always menacing. For example, um, well, a perfect example would be the men in black phenomenon. Now, for most people, you know, if they think of the men in black, they, they think of Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, you know, the movie version oh, of right, men in yeah. black, who are these government agents, you know, sort of seeking to silence people in relation to UFOs. But that was just Hollywood's take on it. If you look at the history of the, the men in black mystery, what you find is that um, the real men in black are very different. They're sort of... Uh, very tall often, very skinny, pale-faced, look, even looking sort of emaciated, and sometimes having these large eyes which they hide behind wrap-around sunglasses, almost like ski glasses, that kind of thing. And, um, and people have described how an encounter with them has started odd but not menacing, where people have, for example, got a knock on the front door, 
and somebody claims to be like a census taker or something like that, or they're doing a survey in the area, and then it gets into sort of weirder questions, you know, about bad dreams and nightmares, and the people are stood on the doorstep thinking, what on earth is going on? And, of course, they see you know, the appearance of them is sort of a little bit unsettling as well. So that's how it begins, and then they sort of amp up the, you know, the the frightening angle, I suppose, to the point where people um, actually feel threatened. And in these cases, you know, they, they'll slam the door. Or in other cases, as with the black-eyed children, they feel almost mind-controlled, as if they're being impelled by some outside force to let the men in black in. So what begins is almost like an eccentric, weird little interview on the doorstep very much turns into something like a nightmare where the men in black are allowed to come in by these mind-controlled victims. And then suddenly it takes on a really uh, menacing turn where people are threatened and told, you know, you won't talk about this. But it doesn't relate, in the real world, it doesn't just relate to UFOs. It all, <coughs> excuse me, it also relates to people who've had um, ghostly encounters. Um, there, as bizarre as it might sound, there are a number of cases where people have seen Bigfoot-type creatures and then they've been visited by the men in black. So it gets into some really odd areas. But, but that's a good point you made because those cases very often do begin. So oh, we have some interference here, Nick. Um, I don't know. Yeah, you want to just give us a call back? Yeah, sure. Okay. Sure. Well, we'll get you back on a little bit. All okay. Right. Okay, Nick Redfern, everybody. Uh, it's funny, some of these shows, we have this weird interference. But, you know, who knows what the cause is. I mean, it sounds almost like a, like an electrical storm with all the static, maybe. I could, Possibly, be, com- I could yeah. be completely wrong. Because so. Nick being in Texas uh, could be an electrical storm. Um, but when uh, we get Nick back here, we're going to have a very interesting question from one of our uh, listeners, and we'll pose that to him uh, when he calls back. Now, the um, <clears throat> the whole notion of parasites, I want to talk to Nick also about the, uh, the black-eyed children, uh, which is fascinating. Uh, our list of parasites uh, is a little different, and that'll be in, in my next book, uh, which is coming out next year, for which Nick wrote the uh, uh, forward. And, um, okay, we got him back here. We're going to try and get uh, this question from a listener. This, um, uh, here we go. Whoa. Oh, okay, we got some issues here. That, huh. Oh, that was my fault. <laughs> okay, so we, we have Nick back? We do not. We do not. Press the, he'll call back in a second. Okay. <laughs> All right. Boy, well, we can do this. It press the wrong button. So, it, it happens, yeah. you know, from time to time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but in in, uh, in back in days of yore, when I was first starting, because uh, the, the, uh, even the term shadow people had not really been invented yet, uh, that was coined relatively recently by our good friend uh, Heidi Hollis, who was a... Uh, uh, on the air many times here and there, and it's a good uh, good description of of pe- figures who often appear at the bottom of people's beds, uh, this sort of thing, and often turn out to be negative. Uh, I have not found, at least in, in our experience, that all of them turn out to be parasitical. I think that sometimes we're dealing, if we're de- talking about the multiverse here, you know, parallel worlds, things of this kind, uh, with um, electromagnetic magnetic boundaries between them, uh, you're going to see perfectly physical people uh, on the other side of the, uh, the membrane, as physicists would call it, in a glowing form or a dark form, hence some of our ideas about ghosts. I think that's uh, a very natural thing, uh, but it's it's also something that we think is is uh, supernatural because we're just not used to it. Uh, do we have Nick back here? 
Yes. Yep. Oh, very good. Okay, let, let, let's try this again. Uh, we're going to go to a question from a listener. This is Peter, and we're not sure where Peter is from, but uh, uh, I guess part of the questions for me and part of the questions for Nick. Well, a little, little, little piece in it for everybody. Yeah. Alrighty, so uh, Peter writes to us. So, Paul, in the past, in past episodes, you mentioned having uh, physical contact with a uh, parasitic entity. Uh, you said the entity had a uh, definite physical structure. If you could throw some uh, kind of fluid on the entity to make it visible, like liquid helium, uh, such a in like in the sequence in the movie Entity. Actually, I kind of forgot about that. Um, <laughs> what form uh, would you imagine it exactly? Uh, would it have a, a body, face? If so, um, would it be wearing clothes? Would it have technology? Uh, what would you imagine the environment uh, to be that it lives in? Do they have houses, cities? Uh, how does the entity absorb our fear or energy? Does it have teeth like a vampire, bat, or what? Um, this one is to Nick. If you Have you had entity cases uh, where there is some um, indication of a physical form to the entities? Okay, just because uh, this is Nick's show, but very briefly, just to answer his question to me, uh, the most dramatic experience I had of that kind of physicality was in the Bridgeport Poltergeist case of 1974 in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and there was uh, an incident on the Monday night of the case where I was uh, kind of protecting the little girl Marcy, who was 10 years old, and these four of these things came out of the kitchen. And when I say things, they, they were, you could see um, these very translucent, gauzy structures. And um, they, one of them came up to me, and, and I just instinctively kind of pushed against it in uh, a pr- sort of protection mode and uh, not expecting really anything. But sure enough, there was a physical structure, and I felt a skeletal structure, and it felt bird-like. Now, not being an anatomist or a biologist or anything, um, I... I that's just the impression that I received. Now, the idea of throwing, at that point, I was so mad, I felt like throwing gasoline on it, but because that was a mistake, too, because it was feeding on my anger. That's, that's, that's where I really learned that you don't do that kind of thing. You have to keep totally calm in the face of these things. And it pushed back, and as I say, there was this indication of physical structure. Uh, I've never been in the position to try throwing anything on it to make it visible, uh, but there was definitely a physicality there, and uh, if the opportunity ever arises, I think I'd like to try that. Nick, what say you? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the question, you know, it, it's an interesting one in, in terms of, you know, sort of the physicality of these things and so on. Um, you know, in terms of their appearance and how they look and all this kind of thing, there is, there is a definite angle to where, you know, there is sort of like this shapeshifter angle where, we may not actually be seeing them in their real form, and we may never have seen them in their real form. Mm. You know, I think possibly these things have the ability to take on whatever they perceive is going to be so malevolent and threatening to the person. You know, somebody has a has a fear of authority, you know, that perhaps, uh, or if they feel intimidated by authority, they might be... Um, you know, they might manifest in the form of, like, the men in black, you know, which have which do have this sort of authoritative appearance to them. So I think it's almost like with these um, paranormal paranormal parasites, I think it's more along the lines of, even if you're not aware of it, it's like um, you get what you ask for, you know, and and that may relate to the appearance as well. I think think there's, there's a lot to that. One of the things that arises, Nick, of course, is our own narrow paradigm and how we interpret these 
uh, in this case, parasitical events that, and, and creatures that have been present seemingly throughout the human experience. The whole tradition of demons and demigods and things of this kind, I think, has arisen out of our experience of parasites. Um, when someone comes to you and says, well, I have demons after me, and uh, they're trying to win me away from Christ or whatever. I mean, how how do you? I know how, I, how we respond to that, but how do you respond to that? I mean, wh- how do you try and explain this to people in a way that is kind of bottom line, kind of real as it gets, as opposed to the folklore that might go with it? Well, yeah, I think you know the important thing to stress from from my perspective is that I do believe that these phenomena exist. You know, there's enough credible testimony on record to, for me at least, to say that these things are real, even if we're not sure what they are. But I think we all, always need to be careful when it comes to sort of labelling them as this or that. You know, it's, uh, they're demons, uh, they're devils, they're, you know, they're some sort of uh, multidimensional creatures, however you want to term it. And um, I think, you know, there are a lot of theories as to what they are, which is largely based on on belief systems. Um, so I try and sort of stay away from using literal terms like demons because, you know, it creates one particular imagery. Um, now, you know, I think it's possible that creatures or entities that over the centuries and thousands of years that have been perceived as, as demons are now being perceived as like the black-eyed children or the man in black. But I think we still don't really have a full understanding of what they are. Um, That's why, you know, I call the book Paranormal Parasites, because I think that's, for me at least, that's the closest I can get to saying what they actually are. But does it mean they're literal demons? Does it mean they're literally flitting in and out from different realities and dimensions? Those are questions that we we don't have the answers to yet, yeah. unfortunately. Well, you know, maybe they are. I mean, you have to be open minded. But I mean, I've never found that their theology is the same as ours. And and you know, you know better than most because you've read part of the next book that um, you know I faced this stuff head on, uh, albeit a long time ago, in, in in the sense of exorcisms and all that. And I just didn't think it was the right the right approach. But uh, whatever they may be, they certainly fill the bill. Yeah, they being do. Negative. yeah. Um, let me ask you this, Nick. Um, in your intro to to the book Parasites, uh, Paranormal Parasites, uh, you, there's the quote: "They hate and despise us." Why? Do you think? Well, I mean, <clears throat> if they are literal paranormal parasites, and to to survive to a degree that they're forced to feed on us, maybe from their perspective, it's like a a weakness you know, that we're, they're reliant on us and they kind of view that as negative from their perspective, you know, like a loathing of us, but they're forced to deal with us. And um, in other words, you know, without us, they can't exist. And I think maybe that has something to do with that angle. But I think there's also the issue that in many cases, uh, you know, the, the witness is, is completely terrified, you know, just petrified in just a state of complete fear. And I think sometimes perhaps the appearances of these entities is designed deliberately to place the person into a deep state of terror because the, the stronger the terror and the higher the degree of emotion, maybe that allows for like a greater feeding 
in simple terms. In other words, the fear angle is created not just because they want to frighten us, but they want to amp up the emotion levels in our bodies and then essentially bleed us dry. Yeah, I've had it happen to me before I learned any better, you know. Um, there are um, examples, of, there are several species. Well, you know, we have the nine species that we ourselves at least kind of use as a working guideline. Uh, and one or two of them, uh, particularly the loss, as we call, will seem apologetic for what they, the way they have to live. And um, I remember in, in uh, two weeks ago we had uh, Jerry Marzinski on, who was uh, on the similar theme. He's a mental health worker who has seen what he believes are what we're talking about uh, operating in uh, psychiatric wards and among psych patients, and, and particularly in the areas of schizophrenia. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he um, essentially said that um, uh, he agrees with, with pretty much everything that, that we've had, but there. there are some that seem apologetic, which is a rather human thing to do. Uh, I had a case in Indiana some years ago where the parasite, the, the person never saw it, the, the host, if you will, never saw this creature, but it would constantly be apologizing for him to him for the way it had to live. And uh, in, in one of Jerry Marzinski's cases, it had um, the the idea that uh, you know it's, it, stay stay out of this. You know, you have in so many ways you have no right. To um, to criticize or to try to stop our way of life. Now, isn't that an interesting way to put it? Our way of life. That's that's what the voice that came out of this person. So um, anyway, on that on that thought, we'll get back to you in a minute. Uh, we're going to take the bottom of the hour break now. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON twelve forty AM and ninety nine three FM in New England's beautiful but rainy Blackstone Valley. We'll be right back with our great guest Nick Redfern in just a moment. Stick with us. Get down to brass tacks at home with me, Bob Vila, and my tip of the day every day right here. Bob Vila's Home Improvement Tip of the Day can only be heard on ON AM and FM every weekday at 6.50 in the morning. Bob Vila's Home Improvement Tip of the Day is brought to you by Cumberland Kitchen and Bath Design Center. Bob Vila's Home Improvement Tip of the Day on ON Radio. Okay, we're back behind the paranormal on WON here with Nick Redfern, and we're talking about paranormal parasites, very sobering topic. So, Nick, uh, after that little monologue of mine, we would, have you ever run into entities that uh, that seem to be uh, apologetic or don't seem to like the way they have to live or, or anything such as we described before the break? Um, I have to say that I actually haven't. Um just about everyone I've got, if not everyone, has sort of very dangerous, malevolent angle. I've not really come across that other side, which is interesting, you know. It kind of suggests that uh, some of them, you know, think in a different fashion to the majority, perhaps. But I haven't personally come across any like that. No. Well, I, it, it could also mean that they're full of baloney. I mean, you know, I, I long ago learned not to listen to anything these things say because you can't really believe them. So who knows? Uh, do you think, uh, when it comes to black-eyed children, now, now that's something I haven't run into. I've run into a lot of weird kids over the last almost 50 years, but but not any of the black-eyed children. Um, that's a very interesting phenomenon. And uh, they, they do seem parasitical. Do you think that in, in all cases they are 
they are parasitical, or could they be, you know, alien, whatever that may mean? You know, what, what, what's your interpretation? Is it is it always blanket parasite when you're dealing with black-eyed children? Well, yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things is that um, because the sort of parallels between the black-eyed children and the men in black, namely, you know, both groups sort of knock on the door late at night and try and find an excuse to come into the house, and, um, and there's this mind-control degree and so on, um, people assume that... You know, there's a UFO component in both, but I actually don't have a single case where there was a UFO angle to the, the black-eyed children presence. Mm. You know, it's not like they turn up and, and threaten people. You know, they, they just want in the house, you know, uh, which is different to the men in black. But in saying that, the fact that they have these solid black eyes um, has sort of given rise to the theory, could they be sort of alien-human hybrids? Because their eyes are very similar to the the so-called alien greys that, you know, the sort of pop culture image that people have of aliens, like the big head and the huge black eyes. So that there is that connection there. Um, but, you know, for me at least, that seems to be where it ends, you know. And um, so I don't think there's like a direct connection, you know, in, in that particular issue. But, I mean, all the stories, you know, of the, of the black-eyed children... Um, Everyone that I've got is sort of negative and dangerous to the person. Now, I have one case, and I should stress, it is just one case, which I talk about in the book, where the witness actually claimed that the black-eyed children that she saw sort of shimmered, almost like a heat haze, as she described it, and claimed that they changed briefly into, like, what you would call one of these tall reptilian-type creatures. Yeah, boy. And, yeah, and that was like... That's the only case I've got like that. But I spoke to the, I was able to speak to the uh, witness in person, and you know she came across as very normal, lucid, and just had an incredible story to tell, um, and didn't really know even if she should tell it, you know. Mm. Um, but that's, I mean, that sort of opens another door, and um, and I wish I had more of those, you know, cases to make a definitive case for shape shifting. Yeah. Um, but that one, you know, what was it's kind of like a standout and an intriguing one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to get back to Peter's question uh, from earlier because I don't think we dealt with the whole thing. He was asking uh, on on the the theme of the physicality or possible physicality of these yeah. things. Um, do would they have houses and things of this kind and whatever worlds they live in? Um, th- that that that's actually a rather good question. Um, in over the years, I've gotten the impression. That these uh, I've seen these working together in in teams or packs at times, depending on the species. Uh, they seem to have leadership uh, at times. There are some rogues, but uh, there also seem to be uh, indications of gender, uh, and there seem to be indications that, that they have at times a culture and perhaps even some kind of basic civilization. Now, uh, th- that's that's kind of a stretch, and a lot of the species that we, we look at. Uh, are not necessarily from the same parallel realities. The laws of physics may be entirely different. That's how they can move back and forth. I mean, these are all theories, but I mean, this is stuff that, that fits what we see anyway. So, I don't know about houses, but I, I had, a, had a case in 1998, and I'd appreciate your thoughts on this, Nick, uh, where it was a house in, uh, in our listening area here in, in uh, northwestern Rhode Island, and there was, uh, the, the host was a woman who had, was kind of down and out and was unemployed and didn't leave the house very often and was depressed and, the, you know, kind of uh, ringing the dinner bell in that case. 
and they seem to be just one parasite. And uh, the the photography that we're able to do, it seemed to hang out in the wall of the six-year-old boy's room, something I didn't particularly like very much. And when uh, there were some photographs in which there seemed to be uh, a separate room, uh, sort of uh, in in you know where the wall was, and you could see a table and things of this kind. So uh, th- this was, in our opinion, one of the whys, as we call the upper echelon, and whys not in a good sense for our purposes, but for their own. And there was an impression of great age and wisdom in the sense of their own species. Again, not good for us. But there did seem to be a, a real physical location parallel to the, uh, the the case site and the the activity of this entity, which was against this woman, and there were even physical attacks on the woman, witnessed by one of our people, uh, you know, hands around her neck and, and marks of those hands, things of that kind. So um, not only a very negative and physical case, but also rather strikingly human. Um, so well, I don't know what your thoughts would be on that, if you've run into that kind yeah. of stuff with, with any kind of photography or uh, experience of any of the people you've dealt with. Well, yeah, I mean, in terms of, like, the, the physicality of these things, or lack of it, um, what's interesting is that whether it's, you know, the shadow people, you know, which are far more shadow-like rather than being, you know, physical 3D, um, but things, again, like the black-eyed children, uh, men in black, women in black cases, what I've found is that there's actually very, very rarely is there, like, a physical interaction, you know, like there's no shaking of hands or, mm. um, you know, touching them or anything like that. You know, it's all, it, they very often just, um, you know, they remain sort of slightly detached, whether it's three, four, five feet away, that kind of thing. Now, I do have a few cases in relation to the men in black where the person did reach out to them. You know, they just felt there was something strange and they just touched them. And in several of those cases, it was almost like they had... Um, not not a strong one, but like a like a weak electric shock, you know. Like yeah, that's happened to pins. me. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like sudden, like sudden pins and needles, you know, yes. through, going through the hand, and um, which kind of makes me think that maybe we're not seeing them in, as I said earlier, we're not seeing their real form. Mm. But if we touch them, and we and pe- uh, people have said, you know, they've got like this electric shock, that makes me think that we're dealing with something that is more energy-based than it is, you know, like a physical creature. Um, so I think I think that's an important aspect, the idea of, you know, touching them, and, and it has this sort of energy-based effect. Um, again, that makes me wonder if anyone has ever seen these things in their real form. You know, maybe... Um, I mean, traditions of shapeshifters go back centuries, you know, so I do wonder if... Somebody who sees the black-eyed children, somebody sees a man in black, a shadow person, a hungry ghost, a woman in black. Maybe they are actually all the same thing, but just taking on, you know, different forms. And um, and perhaps the you know the the energy aspect of this um, might explain at least part of it. You know? Yeah, our interpretation of the shock. Well, and yeah, you know, this is just an opinion. I mean, uh, is that we weren't or I wasn't actually touching the creature, but actually was touching the membrane between 
its world and ours, and you know, which is essentially plasma. So you, you know, you could get a shock. But but again, that's just an opinion. That's how we interpret it. Any opinion is as valid as any other. Ben, uh, did you any want to get in here because I'm I'm fast, so fascinated by the conversation. I'm oh sure. Well, I think it's interesting that um, I I always find it amazing that like poltergeists can do certain things that. Some of these other, I don't want to say incarnation is not a right word, um, uh, various forms that these these creatures take can do. Because it's they've shown time and time again that they can do very, very physical things. But the mechanism for it is always so fascinating to me. Especially with like energy too, right? I mean, you know, if if they're if they're doing if they're taking some sort of a form, even if it's just like a thought trick or something like that, or just, you know, tricking our, our eyes into seeing things that we don't normally see. Um, even if it's just like electrified, like air molecules or plasma or something, like um, you know, we like the ubiquitous orbs that people always take pictures of and things like that. You know, they could just be you know plasma-based beings. So I mean, if it, if they are indeed energy creatures that do physical things, but although now that I'm thinking about it, that would kind of make sense, especially with like electromagnetic fields and stuff. I don't know. It's a lot. It's a lot to ponder, especially well, is, like yeah. the mechanism in which they sort of do the things that they do. Like um, the question we had earlier that uh, was written into us, you know, how do they eat? Like how how do they take the the energy from us? Although someone, I forget who it was, made a, made a point that, oh, maybe, you know, when the brain thinks negative thoughts, like it releases these beta waves or something, so they might be feeding on the brain waves or something like that. Well, let's put that question to Nick. Yeah, anyway. How do they, how do they feed on us, Nick? Well, that's the big question. I mean, it's difficult to know for sure how they literally kind of drain us of energy and exactly what it is that's being extracted. But just the fact that, you know, the the result or the, the after effect on the person, to me, demonstrates that the this draining of energy in some way is going on. Now, you know, how, it's sort of whether it's like, you know, in a sponge-like fashion, where it just mm. sort of absorbs, you know, like a, like a sponge absorbs water in, in one sense. You know, I know that's a simplistic analogy, but I think it could be the correct one. You know, they have to... I think the important thing to note is that when these events occur, the entities themselves are always within about five or six feet of the person. Mm. You know, it's not like the person's in the bedroom and the entity's downstairs... And it's still taking place. So it kind of suggests this energy draining angle has its vulnerabilities in the sense that the, the entity has to be really close to us. You know, maybe that's why <coughs> so many of these events occur, like in the early hours when people are in bed, and they wake up and the thing is looming over the bed. You know, it's one, you know you're, just, you're in a sleep state, you're in a groggy state, which makes you vulnerable and the things right there at that time. You know, I'm not aware of any cases where somebody saw, like, a man in black across the road and they started <laughs> yeah. to feel ill. And I think that's an important, lesser-known aspect. Interesting. Hmm. One of the things that, that arrived... Well, first of all, I'm, we're going to stop. We're gonna give, because we're burning up this hour. We're going to give Nick a chance to talk about his, his website, uh, the books, particularly this one, where people can get it, where people can find out more, and what, what he's going to be up to in 2019. Go ahead, Nick. Um, well, yeah, people can reach me um, uh, several uh, ways. I've got a blog uh, called World of Whatever, and uh, which I, I do most uh, days. You know, I, I update on what I'm doing or um, 
<coughs> new articles, links to articles, that kind of thing. Um, people can also reach me at Facebook. There's, uh, there's a bunch of Nick Redferns, but luckily mine's at the, the top <laughs> of the list if people scroll down. Yeah. And um, also at uh, Twitter, Nick Redfern UFO. And um, as for the books, they're all available on Amazon, and about two-thirds of them you can get off the shelves in Barnes & Noble for people who still like to walk into bookstores. Yeah. <laughs> N- N- Nick Redfern's World of Whatever. I love that. Uh, so... One of the things that, that we always get, uh, a question I've always received is, um, uh, I guess in an obvious one, I, I suppose, could some of these parasites at least be humans, former humans, ghosts? Because we all know a sort of vampiristic humans, you know, psychic mm-hmm. vampires among, we all know people like that. Sometimes you actually took my question. Oh, did I? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Well, what I, was, you... I, was, I was just going to, uh, yours is probably going to be much more eloquent. I was just going to ask if well, people could also be parasites. Yeah, well, okay, well, oh, that's the question then. Nick? Well, yeah, I mean, this sort of ties in um, with what are known as hungry ghosts and the hungry ghost phenomenon, uh, which isn't sort of really overly well known in the West, but certainly in the Far East, India, um, it's, it's basically sort of tied to issues related to karma, the idea of how we choose to live on this physical plane and the consequences in the afterlife of having sort of chosen the wrong path and the form we might return in when we sort of exit the physical plane. And um, it actually uh, has a a big role in the um, teachings of Sikhism uh, where they believe that, um, you know, what you kind of do in this life has a bearing on the next life and with the hungry ghost, they're called the hungry ghost because mm-hmm. for, for taking like a negative position in life and then in the afterlife as well, they're sort of voraciously hungry all of the time. But there's like a twist to it where they're sort of denied access to this energy. And so they're in a constant state of like starvation and um, frustration that they they cannot feed. So that's... You know, that's an interesting angle, this, uh, this idea of, you know, some of these supernatural uh, parasites um, being, you know, the dead returned, but paying a price for the way they, they lived in, in, the, in the physical life. Yeah, it, m- it makes a certain amount of sense, but you know, at least personally, maybe it's my own belief system, but I've, I've just never seen any convincing evidence that that might be true i think again it, it's probably some sort of a mimicry uh, but again you know that's that's just an opinion and well no i agree with you i mean that that is one of the things i would stress is that i think this whole phenomenon of paranormal parasites of entities living and thriving on us i mean although there's a lot of reports and cases what we're lacking is hard answers as to how and why this is occurring and what these things are and where they're from. You know, there's plenty of accounts, but actually demonstrating or, or you know, coming up with a definitive answer, unfortunately, uh, I have to, even I have to admit, you know, we haven't reached that point yet. We've got theories and concepts and ideas, but the point comes where we have to try and get past just theories and concepts, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, th- there are practical implications here. We you know what effect do these things have on in the halls of government, you know, in, in communities. And there are lots of examples through history where, where I think that that's the case. However, I don't think we have time to get into that today. We'll have to do a different show. Uh, we'd like to end on a positive note. I mean, there's been very dreary kind of 
atmosphere we painted here that, that maybe were cattle. But one thinks back to the, the wars of the gods that is present pretty much in every culture, in ancient history at least, and that, that there are, maybe we're in the middle of whatever this war represented, but the, uh, the implication is that there is, there are, are other beings who are perhaps, uh, enemies of these parasites and one thinks of the traditions not only of demons but also of angels the traditions of positive guardians things of this kind we all have stories of yeah. of uh, miraculous uh, survivals i have two uh one from the, my military background where i was i was should have been dead but something pulled me out of there so so uh, what um how would you respond to uh, ending in a positive note as far as uh, these parasites are concerned? I mean, do we have allies? I mean, what can we do against them? Well, yeah, I think, you know, you're right. In, within just about every religious culture, you know, you can find good and bad entities, you know, as you see, like angels, demons, and things like that. Um, and I think, you know, we're seeing two specific different angles we've got the negative entities which seem to feed on us and then as you said you've got the positive ones that seem to not just help us but push us down certain pathways and create synchronicities which sort of enrich us and um you know and help us uh, in, in a guiding fashion so i do think you know there could be this sort of um you know warring factions um and you know we're the deciding thing in between as to how they deal with us and uh, I think it's like um, something Charles Ford said where he said you know we're not seeing the bigger picture of what's going on you know in terms of what the human race is here for and what we're being used for you know we just I guess in this light you know we only see a part of it you know and yeah. um, we don't see the bigger picture until it hits us so I think I do believe you know the one good thing is that or a lot of good things but one main <laughs> good thing about all this is that it isn't all bad you know there are a huge amount of very positive experiences with with supernatural beings and entities yeah so we, we can rise above it we, we really believe that too you know yeah so, i think I, one thing i would say like last thing very important is that i think these things get their claws into people who are sort of um unsure of themselves you know their character may not be too strong a bit weak-willed and I think in those cases, those people are really uh, in danger, you know, of being plucked, if you like, versus someone who can put up a good sort of mental wall, if you like. Well, exactly. I'm glad you brought that up because that, that's precisely the answer that, that we try and give. We, we call it the Peter Pan theory. You know, think happy thoughts. You know, come together with your family, mutual support, uh, a positive kind of faith humor that's positive and um as you may have heard before nick uh i once got rid of the worst poltergeist i ever deal with by using a joke book you know and uh bringing everybody together and yucking it up and that would there were circumstances that made that uh, that i wouldn't use in other other cases but uh the idea of positive energy displacing the negative energy and cutting off the food supply i mean that uh yeah we still got some interference here you still with us nick Yep. Yep, okay. Yeah, so uh, what would be your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, you know, it's, um, we've all met people who you call, like, 
psychic vampires, you know, you say, you haven't seen them in a while, and say, how's it going? Oh, it's terrible, this happened and that happened. And after 20 minutes, you, you feel, you know, worn out listening to all this negativity. And I think negativity breeds negativity. And I think in the paranormal world, it, it does it even more. That's why I always tell people, if you're going to investigate the paranormal, balance it with a normal life as well. Absolutely. You know, don't be sort of, you know, sat in your, your house at 10 o'clock on a Friday night when you could be out with your friends, but instead you're worrying about these entities or trying to summon them up. Um, you know, I think it's important to have a balance and don't fall into this negative um, state of just living in fear of what these things could do to you, you know, sort yeah. of rise up above it and say, well, you're not actually going to do anything. You know, I'm going to call the, uh, the shots. Exactly. And uh, just one other word of warning you might want to amplify upon. Um, none of this, in our opinion, should uh, derail our sense of personal responsibility. I mean, we get lots of emails, I'm sure you do too, of people who ble- are blaming parasites for all their problems, uh, for the, the, the fact that they have a cold, things of this kind. And uh, we just warn against that. There, there, there's a level of personal responsibility that you have to exercise and make positive, as we've said. Uh, you know, as opposed to blaming everything on parasitical entities. Yeah, and I mean that's a good point. You know, um, you know all the, you know the, the things that go bad in the world clearly are not all due to demons or whatever. You know, it's it's just life. <laughs> but sure. there, there is that angle. If you're going to get into this, you know, you need to be kind of careful with it. Now, I mean, one thing, one quick thing is that um, somebody who actually did not follow that path and really did go down a negative path and got sucked in uh, was Albert Bender, who was the guy who began the whole Men in Black mystery in the early 50s. Now, what's intriguing is that um, Bender lived in Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is where you've done a lot of research um, and cases. So, you know, I sometimes wonder if Bender's experiences and his ability to call the Men in Black in and then, you know, they kind of took over. I wonder if that sort of left some sort of negative energy behind it in Bridgeport. Well, possibly, because that's also where P.T. Barnum was from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's certainly in, within the realm of our Connecticut Triangle where we're, we're working with today, and there's, there's some negativity there. But um, just um, uh, briefly, uh, you have a new book coming out next month. Is that correct? Yeah, it's just coincidence, actually. I didn't sort of juggle writing, you know, half of one book in the morning, the other half in the <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> no, it actually, it's two different uh, publishers. Um, the new book's called Area 51, and it's um, it's a, a, a big book. It's 150,000 words um, on the history and the UFO history connected to Area 51, and that'll be out on January the 1st. Oh, that sounds wonderful. We always look forward to your books. And give us your uh, website and blog one more time. All right. Uh, well, it's Nick Redfern 14, F-O-R-T-A-N, um, dot blogspot dot com, or just... If you just type in Nick Redfern, World of Whatever, that'll take you to the, the blog as well. Excellent. Nick, it's such always such a great pleasure to have you with us. Indeed. I hope we'll see you soon. And uh, best of luck with the new book. And thanks again right. for being with us. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Let's go to our announcements here. First, a very happy Hanukkah to our Jewish friends. It begins tomorrow, kind of early this year. Ah, uh, yes. 
And uh, speaking of Hanukkah, Christmas, and the winter holidays, gift-giving time is here. For any unusual friends or relatives whose taste runs to the weird and unexplained, please consider giving autographed copies of our books, and so they consider Nick Redfern's books as well. There, there are hundreds of them, I think, on Amazon.com. Uh, our latest titles include Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, and Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of. Uh, they're available from online retailers and in stores. Uh, but for autographed copies, please visit the online bookstore at BehindTheParanormal.com. Already, in our first event of uh, 2019, at least so far, um, will be an encore at the Town of uh, Prospect Senior Center in Connecticut um, on April 23rd. I will not be attending because that is my wedding anniversary, uh, and we'll uh, keep you posted as details develop for that. Yeah, that's, too, that's good. You have a wedding anniversary. <laughs> well, it's good that I remember yeah. it. That's that's a, that's Ex- a you know, well, absolutely. You know, you're an old married person now. Uh, one of the things that I want to bear in mind here is is that. Uh, that is a, a wonderful, vibrant place. You know, you hear Senior Center and you think, you know, everybody's, uh, you know, asleep and falling out of their chairs. Not true at all. Not only is the Prospect Senior Center a beautiful place, we had a, he- or I had, I guess you don't think you could make the last one either. No, because I believe it was a, probably the same day. Right. Had a huge audience. Uh, Active, active, wonderful people. It was just a delight to be there. So uh, it is open to the public, so we'll keep you posted on that as far as April 23rd of uh, next year is concerned. Uh, my next book, uh, which I mentioned, uh, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeist, Parasites, and Parallel Worlds, and God. They added The publisher has added God so far to the title. Uh, that's uh, in the hands of Schiffer Books, and I'm told it might not be available till next fall. However, we'll keep you posted on that. Maybe it'll be a little sooner. Yeah, who knows? So also at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, you can find out more about the show, our many cases over the years, our public appearances, and uh, you'll also find over 800 free recorded shows from our 10-plus years on the air, including our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Uh, there are also links on that site to several charities Ben and I have adopted, including... Uh uh, usacares.org, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, uh, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, and the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America. As we always say, uh, we know these folks, uh, and the money goes to where it's supposed to go. go. Yeah. Uh, uh, but particularly, uh, USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, and Helping Haiti's Orphans. Actually, all of them. <laughs> youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles. Tony LeRae out there doing tremendous things with the disadvantaged youth in, in uh, the, the most disadvantaged areas of, of Los Angeles. Uh, so, Ben, what's in the cookie jar for next week? So, next week, December 9th, here on WOON, 1240 uh, AM and 99.3 FM, we have a very unusual subject, which is romance and the paranormal, which I don't think we've ever quite talked about. Probably not. So author uh, Dina Roseberry uh, and special guest and co-host Rosemary Ellen Guiley will be joining us. Okay. Uh, I guess we have time for the quote. It's from Ralph Waldo Emerson. Never lose an opportunity to see anything beautiful, for beauty is in God's is God's handwriting. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you behind the paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.